Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC. I'm excited for the word. It's going to be good. The title of my talk today is A Delightful Dilemma. A Delightful Dilemma. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 1. We're starting verse 21. It says this right here. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. For to me is to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for, fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The Apostle Paul is writing this in a very uncertain time in his life. In fact, he's in prison. Most believe he's in prison in Rome, um, but he's, also, he's in prison in a province of Rome, and he's in fact chained to a Roman centurion as he's writing this letter. He is 24-7 chained to a Roman centurion. They'll rotate the, the Roman centurion. So he's sitting there having a chain on his ankle to another dude's ankle, and he's sitting there writing this letter, and this is what he comes up with. It's uncertain times. His execution order could come at any moment. This could be his last day on earth. At any moment, the Caesar could come in and put the execution order, and it could be Paul's last day. And he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Now, to you and I, I think we can all agree that these are some uncertain times. But Paul literally does not know if he will wake up the next day, if today is his last day. Me and my wife, we had our second child right before all of this came down in February, and we were excited because at first we're like, oh, it'll be like two weeks, we get a little break, and that's how I think we all felt. We're like, I think we all need a two-week break, right? Two weeks turn into seven months, and you're like, I don't know if I want to be a parent anymore, okay? Like, my two-year-old's up in my grill 24-7, and it's like, it's all uncertain, you know? I'm like, I don't know if this kid will ever get to go to preschool, you know, Jesus help us, okay? So this is it, right? Paul is, we, we, we feel in our times and in our scope of, of humanity, we tend to do this, is that when, whatever season we're in, we think this is the worst season ever. This is the, this, this can't, there couldn't be anything worse in human history than where we are right now. I want us to put into perspective, though, where Paul is at. Now, the Christians throughout the Roman Empire are being persecuted and killed for their faith, literally pulled out of their homes, being executed publicly because of their faith. They are being persecuted by their fellow, if they were Jewish, by their family members. They are being persecuted by the Roman Empire where they can't even make money, they can't work. It's all going crazy, and Paul is writing this letter because he's the leader of this revolution amongst the Gentile church, and he's saying, I'm hard-pressed on both sides. I don't know which way I wanna go. Because I, if I die, guess where I go? I'm going to heaven. But if I'm here, I'm here for you. And he is literally chained to a Roman centurion, writing this in an uncertain time, not knowing if this is his last day on earth. Now, I wanna give you some background on Philippi and what this place was. Philippi was one of the very few places that would be considered a colony of Rome outside of Italy. 
they possessed something that everyone wanted. They possessed citizenship as a Roman citizen. That means they got tax cut, they got breaks, they got financial gain. This was the place to live if you were gonna live in the Roman Empire outside of Italy. Why? Because you got Roman citizenship. Most of them were retired uh, war veterans who would come in and they would get blessed financially. So they're all living here and Paul is writing to people who, who their citizenship on earth is very important to them. They were patriots of this place. They loved it. They were passionate about it. They fought for it. This was their place. They were a Roman citizen. And Paul is writing from a Roman prison, chained to a Roman centurion, and he's giving them some great insight on what it means to live with joy on this earth. The book of Philippians is believed to be the epistle of joy. So if you're lacking in joy today, I recommend go read Philippians over and over and over again until you find some joy. It is the epistle of joy. He's writing to them and he's trying to remind them this is what real joy is. These are people that had money. This is people that had status. They had citizenship. They had everything in the Roman Empire that you could probably desire. And he's still writing to them about joy because I think we understand that there's often things on earth that we think will give us joy. But then when we receive them or we get them, we find that they lack the thing that we were searching for. So he's writing this letter from prison, chained to the Romans and Tyrion, and he's writing about joy. Nine times in this letter, Paul uses the word, the Greek word proneho, which would mean to think, to set your mind on. Now, this is the most he uses this word out of any other letter that he has written. The second would be Romans. So I believe he's trying to give us a little bit of a tool to find joy is directly tied to how do we think as a believer? What are we setting our mind on as a believer? Are we setting our mind on the things of God and the glory of God and the grace of God? Are we setting our mind on things of this earth that will constantly rob and steal our joy because we put our weight and our faith in the things that cannot last for eternity? So he is saying, I need you to look at how you are thinking. What are you setting your mind to? And he is writing about receiving joy. And Paul shows us this here in this statement. He says, he, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm hard pressed on both sides. I don't know which way I'm gonna go. I would believe that this, that we will never understand why we are here on earth until we understand fully where we are headed. We will constantly be searching for purpose on earth until we understand where we're headed to in eternity. Eternity is the foundation and the anchor that anchors us down while we're here on earth. Paul understood this concept. Paul understood why he was here because he knew where he was headed. Being in prison, being chained to Roman centurion didn't faze him. Why? Because he knew where he was headed. Lack didn't faze him. Why? Because he knew where he was headed. Prosperity didn't faze him. Why? Because he knew where he was headed. Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, I know how to, I know how to, when I'm abounding, I know when I'm in prosperity, when I'm in poverty, when I'm in defeat, when I'm in sickness, when I, I know how to remain. Because he understood this is not where I'm headed. Now, if you are unfamiliar with this concept, I believe that when we die from this earth and we take our last breath, we will head into an eternal destination. 
There's an eternal home for every believer waiting for everybody that has put their faith in Christ here on earth. And Paul understood that everything here on earth pales into comparison to where he was headed. And he was so secure in his purpose on earth because he was so secure in his citizenship in heaven. Purpose and, and your destination are completely tied together. Oftentimes, we make the destination of our purpose here on earth. If I get this job, if I receive this amount of salary, if I buy a house, if I have this family, if I have this amount of kids and have the white picket fence and the car and all of these things, and we say that is purpose. But God changes the game when he sent Jesus. Because we understand now the weight of true purpose is directly connected to where we are headed. So to know why we are here, we must know where we are headed. Understanding where we're going helped remove worry, anxiety for the things of this earth because they pale in comparison to the glory of heaven. Paul is hard pressed on both sides, he says. I don't know which one to choose. He doesn't know which one he wants more. That, that definition would be, it would be equally strong external forces pressing on him from both sides, this decision, whether to... Do I want to go to heaven? Do I want to be on here on earth? I, I, I don't know. Death didn't phase Paul. Death did not phase him. Why? Because he understood death wasn't the finality of his life. It was the beginning. He was headed into an eternal place that he would live forever with his king and with his God. Death was not the final word. Death didn't have the final say. Death, where is, that, where is thy sting? It's swallowed up and what? In victory. There's life. So what's Paul's dilemma? It's either Jesus or Jesus. It's life or life. It's a pretty good dilemma. It's either he lives as Christ or he's with Christ, unfiltered. Un unfiltered by our sin, unfiltered by our body, unfiltered by our brokenness. It's him and his creator and his savior and his king and his God face to face in heaven. Or it's here on earth to live as Christ, to be a representation of Christ, to be an ambassador of Christ. That is to live as Christ, to die as gain. Why? Because it's Christ or Christ. It's life versus life. He's reminding us it's always been and always will be about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Guess what? The Old Testament, what's it pointing to? Jesus. When we're reading the Old Testament scriptures and we're seeing all those sacrifices you have to go through, it's pointing to a, a, a lamb, a pure spotless sacrifice that would come from heaven to earth and he would purchase our life in eternity so all of those regulations and things would go away. It's pointing to Jesus. It says in Hebrews that Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father in heaven in his word and in his deed. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's image. So if you ever wanted to know what God looked like, look at the life of Jesus. If you ever want to know what God spoke at spoke like look at the word of Jesus and the words that Jesus would speak is the way that God would speak the way that Jesus lived is the way that God would live why because he was God he is God he always will be it's all about Jesus Paul lived in this great dilemma that we all live in as believers to live is Jesus to die is Jesus to live is life to die is life why because Jesus purchased that on the cross this is a delightful dilemma but I want to talk about real quick like I said to understand why we are here why are we here in 2020 why am I alive everything's going crazy I don't know how to handle it. Have you ever been on Instagram in the last? Man, oh man, I can't keep up. Masks are fake. No, they're real. Okay, I don't know. 
This person's fake. No, it's real. It's like, okay, my soul can't keep this up. Instagram is the tool to destroy my soul, okay? Everyone's arguing. Everyone's mad. I just want people to be happy. I just want people to enjoy life, all right? So to understand why we are here, why are we alive in 2020 during this time, during this season, in this place, why are we living and why are we breathing? I'm going to pose the argument that we have to understand where we are headed and understand why we are here. So we're gonna talk about where we are headed. Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in, sh- in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Proneho, they're set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And by the power that enables him, he, uh, he even subjects all things to himself. Citizenship means this, a colony of foreigners that is a miniature copy of their true home. A colony of foreigners that is a miniature copy of their true home. Why does he bring up heavenly citizenship in Philippians chapter three? Because like I reminded us early on is for the Philippian church, their citizenship of Rome was the highest honor. It was the biggest deal. It was the pinnacle of, of life and the fact that they were citizens of Rome and Paul is reminding them, in fact, your citizenship in Rome, in Rome pales in comparison to the fact that you are a citizen in heaven. Your citizenship of Rome or your citizenship of whatever country we live in or whatever county we're from, guess what? It pales in comparison to the fact that we are all citizens of heaven. Citizens of an eternal place. Citizens of an eternal destination. Citizens of a place that will not cease and will not end. And he is trying to remind them of the pride they should have and the pride they should carry. Not on their earthly citizenship, but on their heavenly citizenship. And he's reminding them saying, hey, this is how those who live who don't understand their earthly citizenship, they live at the beck and call of their belly which is the craving and the desires of this world. Everything that is external and everything craving that they they live that way. And guess what that leads to? A place of destruction. Maybe just maybe the reason why we can't figure out why we are here because we live at the beck and call of our earthly desires rather than living with the security of our heavenly citizenship. Because when you know what you're a citizen of, your desires begin to change. You begin to desire something new. I don't know about you, but when you ever stayed in like a nice hotel, like you get a taste for it, you're like, man, my God, how can I go back? I had a friend, he had clipper tickets, right? Four rows up from the bench. And he would bless me and say, hey, I'll give you tickets. I'm like, come on, I'll receive it, right? So I would go to the games. And, and then one year, you know, the worst thing happened, he sold his tickets, okay? So I didn't get to go to the games anymore. Have you ever... Like whenever you get the taste of that and you go try up to the, like the nosebleeds before was like amazing. I'm living it up. Eat my hot dogs, got my pretzel with the cheese, probably three or four of them during the game. Because back then nothing affected me. Now I'm a dad and all of a sudden everything affects me in terms of food, like whatever. I'm sitting up in the, but the moment you get a taste of four rows up from the bench, you're like, ah, I'll just watch it on TV. Right, like, if I'm not sitting close, I'll just watch it on TV. Like, that's how it should be when we understand that we're a citizen of heaven. What we received with Jesus. 
the arguments and the anger of this earth pale in comparison to the fact that we're headed to heaven. So the things we used to engage in, the things that we used to enjoy, the things that we used to do, the, things that, the, the way we used to see things, the way we used to argue things, guess what? It has all changed because we no longer see ourselves as a citizen of earth, but we understand that I am a citizen of an eternal kingdom. As believers, we have to become a copy of our true home. See, we represent heaven. So when heaven on earth, you wanna look around, this is heaven on earth because as believers, we will be those who worship God forever and eternity. So when we gather every week, it's like bringing heaven on earth. We are a copy of God's community. Look around you. We don't all look the same. We don't all have the same background. We don't have all the same. Maybe some of us came from different beliefs, but what are we centered around now? King Jesus. And King Jesus and his blood will bond anybody. It will heal any wound. It will bring everybody together. Why? Because we are centered around one reason and one thing only, and it's Jesus. And we understand now that my citizenship in heaven is the most important thing I got. So as a believer, I'm gonna, I am going to, to lean more on the promises of God than I am the politics of man. Because the politics of man cannot save my soul. The politics of man cannot transform my mind. The politics of man cannot purchase my heavenly citizenship. Woo! Sometimes we get too caught up in the things that don't matter in our citizenship in heaven. And God is saying, what I need you to do is lean more on my promises. And what is my promise? That whether in this life or the next, you will be healed. Whether in this life or the next, I will make you whole. And whether in this life or the next, I will save your soul for eternity. Read Hebrews 11. All of the people we look at the Bible, the hall of faith that says none of them saw their promise fulfilled in their lifetime. We sometimes put our hope and our faith more in that God will bring the promises now here on earth. When God is saying, you have no idea that most of the promises will be fulfilled in eternity and it will be far better than anything you could receive on earth. Abraham is looking from heaven now, seeing that the world, he has, he has Christians all over the world, and it's, you can't even number them like God promised. He didn't see that in his lifetime, but he sees that in heaven. He sees that in heaven. The promises that God has spoken over our lives, our hope, our prayer, our belief, is in our home. Our home, though it's temporary here on Orange, in Orange County, it's forever and eternity. We are just foreigners that are a copy of our real home. Believers, we should represent heaven in our conversations. We should represent heaven in our thinking. We should represent heaven in the way that we live. Why? Because we're a copy of heaven. If someone doesn't know what heaven is, they should be able to look at your life and understand that person's a citizen of somewhere else. They're they're, they're a citizen of somewhere else. They're not from here. They're not from here. And I've been to a foreign country before and I can promise you there's sometimes you walk out there and you're like, everyone knows. They're not from here, you know. I went to Uganda and I'm like walking around, you know. They're like, yeah, that guy's not from here, right? That's how it should be all the time. When I go get my coffee at my favorite coffee shop, this guy's not from here, is he? talks a little different, thinks a little different. It's not, it's nothing to do with our religion. It's nothing to do with our ability to try to make ourselves better. It's everything that has to do with the security of where we are headed. 
I'm more secure in where I am headed than where I'm at. So I am not gonna be budged by anything on this earth. And when things are uncertain, I am certain of this. I am headed to see my Savior. Oftentimes when we've talked about heaven in the past, I grew up in church, I'm a pastor's kid, so I've heard it. My God, the streets of gold, come on, baby. The pearly gates, the sea of glass. We, we focus on these things, because that's how it's described in the Bible, and we're all like, I'm gonna get a crown, and I'm gonna have more jewels than all of you. Like, it's like a competition among Christians, right? Like, I just got a jewel. Like, look at each other like, it's so weird, you know? Like, I'd always be like, I don't know if I have any jewels, you know? I don't know, you know? All of these things that they use in the Bible as imagery to try to bring it into some sort of picture that we can kind of understand because heaven is not something we can comprehend. So when it's talking about streets of gold and pearly gates and sea of glass, it's imagery so that we can understand the beauty, the glory, the majesty, the purity of heaven. But it's not the focus of heaven. The focus is not those things. The focus is Jesus, Paul says this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? That's far better. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. The fact that we get to stand before him face to face, unfiltered, we don't deserve that. When he looks at us in heaven, it's not gonna be a, 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 a conversation of shame or guilt. It's gonna be a conversation where he looks at you and says, come, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and be with your father and be with your older brother and let's party for eternity. Come on, I'm gonna worship my God forever because Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. The streets of gold are good, but I want Jesus. I want Jesus forever and I'm gonna look at him and there's no sin, there's no body that is a filter. I'm gonna have a glorified body. My God, I'm gonna get that six pack without having to work out. Let's go, because I'm looking at Jesus and I'm looking at his glorified body. He purchased it for me. Heaven, without Jesus, is not heaven. Do you know what hell is? Ooh, we don't like to talk about that in 2020. It's eternal separation from Jesus. It puts it into words to try to describe the agony of what we would feel, the fact that we cannot be with our creator. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. It's a beautiful place. C.S. Lewis believes that eternity will be retroactive, that we will be able to look at life backwards. And even in the worst, most agonizing times on earth, we will see the beauty, the glory, and the majesty of Jesus right in the middle of it. That's what heaven is. There is no tears, there is no sickness, there is no shame, there is no sin, there is no pain. It's us and Jesus. And Paul is saying, for me, that's better. <laughs> Have you ever wondered, like, man, why didn't God just zap us up when we got saved? That'd be better. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, honestly, for me, when I got saved, I wish I was just with Jesus, because I can't stand some of y'all, you know? <laughs> Have you never thought that? Just be in church for about two more months, all right? For him, it was the advantage to go to the be with the Lord. But it was to the advantage of everyone else. In fact, it was necessary that he continue to live. Do you understand that? Our advantage comes when we go to heaven. 
Sometimes we try to live as if God owes us an advantage here on earth. He purchased the greatest advantage that you could have in life is that you are a heavenly citizen now. So every breath that you have is on borrowed time now as you are passing through into your eternal destination. So the question is this, now we understand where we are headed as believers. Now my question is, why are we still here? I've asked that. God, I just wanna be with you. We've gotta understand something. God, as you hear on this earth, if you are living and breathing, there is a very purpose on your life and do not take that for granted. Don't take for granted the fact that we can bring other people to the same citizenship that we have in heaven and God has you living and breathing for a reason and Paul understood that because of where he was headed, it was necessary for him to be here. Because of where you're headed, because of what Jesus purchased for you, it's necessary that you are here, right here, Philippians 1, 22, and we're gonna jump to 24 through 26. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I, I can't. I can't choose between the two, he's saying, whether to live and have fruitful labor or to die and be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Uh, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that you in me may have ample cause to glory Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. To be in, it, in heaven is at our advantage. To be alive is at everyone else's advantage around you. Do you live as if it's an advantage to everyone else? But let me ask this. Do people around you feel as if it's their advantage that you're alive? If you are living and you are breathing as a believer, guess what you are? You are a leader, whether you realize it or not. See, sometimes we put these certain tabs on leadership that I don't know if I can lead, I don't know if I can do, you are a leader. Your, your heavenly citizenship has been set. You are now called to be a leader. And to understand that while you are here and you know where you're headed, to not live in that purpose alone, we will constantly be aimlessly walking around, not sure why we are here. And Paul is trying to remind them, put your minds on the things of God. Remind yourself that this is not your home. And if you know this is not your home and you have, you're going somewhere better, wouldn't you wanna bring somebody with you? Wouldn't you wanna lead somebody to that place as well? We are here to help people progress by reminding them to set their minds on God. We are here to remind people to have joy in their faith. Did you hear what he said? I'm here so that you progress. Come on, you don't stay stagnant. You set your mind on the things of God. I'm here to help you have joy in your faith. I grew up a pastor's kid and I can tell you this, sometimes in the faith is not a lot of joy. Oh, I, oh, I can't do that. Mm. Can't go watch that movie. Can't do this, can't do that. And I'm not saying that we should have no regulations or standard, but I'm saying that we've made it about something that Jesus never did. When at the woman at the well was, or sorry, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and Jesus looked at it, it says, those who have no sin, throw the first stone. It says one by one, they drop their rocks. She's sitting there. And he says, look up, where are your accusers? Well, they're nowhere. Well, now I don't accuse you either. I condemn you no more. Now go and sin no more. Jesus was not focused on her myriad of sins. He was more concerned with anybody who wasn't a sinner, who was sinless. And guess who that is? 
him. He was reminding us he's the focus. He's the one who's sinless. He's the one who purchased our righteousness. Paul is trying to remind the Philippian church to find your joy and your faith again. Why? Because faith was never your idea to begin with. It was God's idea. Since God gives us a measure of faith, a divine persuasion that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he's gonna do. It's not about you. The joy is robbed in our faith when we make it about ourselves and not about our Savior. Find joy in that it's God who stirred up your faith, and all you have to do is respond. And daily, I'm like, God, I'm responding. When I was a kid, man, in high school, my mom would give me her card if she didn't have like five bucks cash for lunch. That was her biggest mistake, right? Because when lunch was on mom, everybody's eating, right? So I take everyone out to lunch, it's on me. They're all like, you're the best. I'm like, I know, you know? It's funny how we treat things when it's not purchased by us. The reason maybe we lack joy in the faith is because we think that we have purchased our righteousness and not Jesus. We have forgotten that it was Jesus who purchased the righteousness. It was Jesus who purchased our salvation. It was Jesus who purchased the things and we should live as if it was purchased by somebody else because guess what, it was. So don't set your minds on the things that you used to do and who you used to be. Set your minds on who you are in Christ and because only through Christ is that even possible. To live as Christ. That means every waking moment that we have is to be with fellowship with God. Fellowship with God doesn't just mean that the times of prayer and reading. Fellowship with God is every time, every second of our day, we can recognize that God is there. When you walk throughout nature and creation, when you have your conversations, when you're with your beautiful families, when you're with your friends, find God in that. The kingdom of God is God in action. Find our king moving in his kingdom. Find our king in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our discomfort, in the middle of our anxieties, in the middle of our worries on this earth. Find our king in the midst of that and we will understand these will pass away, but I am headed to a place that is far better than where I'm at right now. To go on living is in this world, this constant enjoyment of Christ himself. And that we can have fruitful labor in the master's service. This is what Paul means when he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And that life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the son of God who loved me gave himself for me. The people in the Philippian church had to grab hold of this. In fact, do you understand who these people were? They were crazy, y'all. I love the church in Philippi. It was started by a business lady named Lydia. She was out by the river praying, Acts 16, read it. It's incredible, right? She gets one for Jesus. She's just trying to do her prayers, right? He runs into Paul and Silas, and they're like, hey, uh, you, you need Jesus. And they pray for her. They baptize her. They go pray and baptize her family. Then they run into this young girl who's possessed by a spirit who's like fortune telling and making money for people. And Paul's like, dude, I'm tired of you. You're annoying me. Actually says that. Read it. He casts it out, right? Boom. Get out of here. The spirit of Python. Get out of here. 
then he gets arrested, right? Because he was stealing people's money, so he gets thrown in jail. And in the midnight hour, we all remember that story, right? He starts worshiping and praising, and the chains fall off. Why was he worshiping and praising? Because one family in Philippi just got saved. Lydia and her family and this church began in her home. This was a church that funded the kingdom. When they found out Paul was in jail, they sent a gift to him. And this is his thank you letter to them. In 2 Corinthians, it says, the church in Macedonia, which would be Philippi, gave to you in extreme poverty. And it says they gave even more than what they had. Their citizenship was challenged when they decided to follow and be a Christ follower. The thing they cherished the most in this earth was taken away. They could no longer work and make money. There was persecution on their finances. There was persecution on their families. There was persecution on all sides, but they were generous. They gave more than they had because they understood. Woo! We're winning people for Jesus. They were planting churches. They were, they were saying, Paul, what do we need to do? They funded Paul's ministry. What are we gonna do as believers? I don't know what I can do. It says in Romans 12, some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of generosity. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of prophecy. Some of you have the gift of, uh, of, of, of being someone who's, who's just homey and welcoming him in. Me, we need to use the gifts that God has given us. You all have a part to play in this, but we have got to understand we are foreigners in this land and we are to be a type and shadow of our home heaven. And God is saying, I want your transformation to lead people to the same destination that you are headed but what I need you to do is grasp that your citizenship on earth pales in comparison to your citizenship in heaven it says what last in this is Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13 faith hope and love are the greatest of these what last in this is love why because when we step into eternity faith and hope are no longer necessary the moment that sight happens. The moment we see Christ, faith and hope disappear. Because faith comes by hearing, not by sight. So when you see Jesus and you're in heaven, faith is no longer, but what, what intensifies? Love. Love is the currency of heaven. It says our loving kindness will draw people unto repentance. Why? Because that same love is the love that they will see when they walk into heaven and they see their creator and this intense, crazy, complete love. We will understand now and, and that, that, that God's sacrifice that he left this place to come for me. Wow. Let's be those who love as Christ would love. Let's be those who live in the currency of our eternal home. Why? Because it's what God asks us to do. If you have no hope today, guess what? I'm gonna give you some hope. This is not your home. You are headed to a place that Jesus purchased your spot. He purchased you a ticket. He said, all you gotta do is put your faith in me. All you gotta do is say, Jesus, I accept, I accept, I accept your grace. And guess what? Now you have hope that you are headed to an eternal home. Oh, you need some faith today? Your faith, let it be stirred up today that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is consistent, that he's not going to leave you here in this hurt, in this pain, but he's bringing you to a place where pain no longer exists and every tear will be wiped away. All sickness will be gone and you have been to a place where you are headed, that you are a citizen in heaven and if you have not experienced the love of Jesus, today is your opportunity because this love is so intense and so amazing that in fact he came from that heavenly citizenship, that heavenly home down to earth 
says, he who knew no sin, what became sin, so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who did never sin, he never cussed somebody out on the 405 in traffic, ever. He came and he became that sin. So we can what? Become the, me, righteousness of God? Yes, you. And in eternity, that love will only be more intense, be only more great. So I go back to, in order to know why you are here, you gotta know where you're headed. We stand to our feet. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.